This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, the third and final session uh, of our Spiritual Warfare Life Zone. So uh, I, I can see that there's, we've got more people than we've had the first two days. Thank you. Uh, so again, just very briefly, sorry if you've been here the first few days. So I'm Rob uh, from Bolton. Uh, my wife is here on the front row who's going to stand up and, and give a quick wave. So uh, Helen brought a... If you, so if you missed it, all of these will be on the Christ Central website, um, probably fairly soon, I would imagine. Uh, so Helen brought her, some of her testimony uh, on, on the first day. And, uh, and then we, we talked about how to recognize the work of the enemy. Uh, Lillian, where's where Joseph? Lillian somewhere. She'll be back in a minute. <laughs> so Joseph and Lillian with us as well, who you would have seen on the stage. Uh, Lillian again talked about a basic introduction. That was our first session. Uh, yesterday then, uh, Ginny gave some of uh, her personal testimony of how the Lord has set her free and, and blessed her, and we majored on the authority uh, that God gives us in Christ to demolish the strongholds uh, that the enemy wants to bring up, uh, wants to, to keep erected in our lives. So what we're going to do today, it's uh, a little bit of a two-parter, and we want to try and make room for a little bit more prayer at the end, and, and some words of knowledge which we, we trust will uh, apply to some of us. Uh, so Ginny is going to share, first of all, about uh, our role in the freedom that Christ wants to bring us into. Uh, yes, we sometimes need setting free from things, but we're still responsible. And so she wants to, uh, to talk about that. And then Joseph is going to look a little bit more at the bigger picture, which is um, perhaps primarily uh, addressed at people in some sort of leadership. Uh, but the principles very much apply to, to all of us. So he will be looking at, at not just you know, how individually we might need to be free from things, but our group or our church or, or whatever it, it might be. So uh, again, let me pray and then uh, we'll get going. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you have the victory. You are the risen one. You were dead, but you are alive and now reign forever and ever. And we thank you, God. You told us to pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that for our lives, our families, our churches. I pray even today, Lord God, that your kingdom will advance. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you apply these truths to us uh, as we listen and respond. Amen. Okay, so let's welcome Ginny. <laughs> Hi. There's a few more of you today. So we've been looking at this we've been looking at this whole area of spiritual warfare and we're going to widen that out when um, Josie speaks to us. But we've spent quite a bit of time talking about how very often we need to have personal areas that have become stronghold, broken. In other words, the need for personal deliverance, that I might call it. But I want to kind of just say something about what happens after that. So, 
The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that he, that is God, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So when we become Christians, prior to that we've been in this dominion of darkness. And the enemy's happy. He doesn't necessarily need to give as much to battle with perhaps at that point but when we become christians we are then transferred into the kingdom of light and the war begins within us of darkness and light and the setting free moments that we talked about yesterday and the the previous day and that we talked about indeed somewhat last night at the end of the meeting the setting free moments are obviously very important because they release us into places of being able to choose And what I mean by that is, when we are in the dominion of darkness, basically the power of the enemy is over us. When we're transferred into the kingdom of light, the very core of our being, as I said yesterday, is the spirit of light. And he starts to push out the darkness. But there'll be areas that are strongholds such as the things I talked about personally yesterday, whereby we just don't feel we've got the power to overcome. We just don't feel we can choose the light. And the setting free moments break that power and put it back into our own court. So when we have these moments of being set free, the power base shifts to us. But it's from that point that a real battle begins. And this is what we need to understand because many people have this, well, if I go to the front and get prayed for, that's it. My troubles are over. Actually, that's perhaps where the fight begins even more. So for me, after the deliverance um, that I didn't actually speak about yesterday, but I did say it came, thank God. After that deliverance, there came this battle And in this battle, it's about learning to be able to recognize the enemy's lies and beginning to overturn them with the truth. The strongholds had been broken, so now the power lay in my hands to choose the truth, to choose to walk free, to choose the light. And Galatians 5 25 it says if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit or follow the spirit and the spirit gives us the enabling as we follow him so it's not about having a plan of how I'm going to cope from this point on it's not about trying to change myself trying to change my own thinking this is about following him and allowing him to change my thinking by the power of his word at work within me as I walk with him. It's about leaning on him in all my vulnerability, choosing to trust him. And this is actually very subtly different from some of the modern counselling methods. Some of the modern counselling methods will try and teach you that you can change your own thinking. That all your problems start in your mind. So for me, feeling like I did not belong, it was in my head. And now it was in my head, very much so. And it was speaking to me, and it was telling me I didn't belong. But I had no power over it. 
I could not change that thinking, despite wanting to very desperately. We cannot set ourselves free. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot change ourselves in that sense. But praise God, he can set us free. He can heal us. He can change us and is doing from one degree of glory to another as we allow the truth to work in us. So we learn to walk in the light and not walk according to the darkness. Um, The Bible also says um, in 1 Peter that we have been redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to us from our forefathers. And basically we don't have to choose to walk in these empty ways of our forefathers anymore. So what the setting free does, what the deliverance does, what that moment does at the front of a meeting like last night, it puts the power base back into your hands. Yeah? And as Christians, we've been rescued from the authority of the enemy. We've been rescued from this dominion of darkness. He, the enemy, wants to keep us in that darkness. He doesn't want us to find freedom because if we do... We will bring that freedom to others. We will become the blessing to others, the blessing to the nations. So the enemy will try to keep using the fears that are rational or irrational, uh, fears of people. The fear of man, we are told, is a snare. Fear of being hurt, fear of being manipulated, fear of being controlled, fear of being rejected. Fear of being persecuted, humiliated, the list can go on and on. The enemy will try to keep bombarding us with these things that have held us. And he'll use guilt or shame if he can, whether it's as a result of something we've actually done or something we just perceive to have done. All these things can bind us up and they bring their own form of torment. Um, What we need to understand is that the childhood fears that we had subtly refine themselves within us as we grow older. So when I was a child, my fear of my parents, my fear of the bullies at school that I referred to yesterday, morphed into a fear of people in authority as as an older person. So then I became afraid of doctors, afraid of bank managers, even church leaders. I just felt cowering in their presence. My fears, if you like, of being shut in to dark, damp places as a child meant that as an adult that had kind of just changed slightly into fears about different situations. So in in our married life, most of the homes we've lived in have got a cellar. And for many years, I could not go down into the cellar. Um because somehow the fear from way back had transferred itself. And this is what happens. This is what the enemy does. And some of these things we're not even aware of that are connected to things that are long gone. So in all these areas, what began to happen after that point of deliverance for me was the realization that I didn't need to listen to this voice anymore. I had no need to fear. And I found that actually I could choose to listen to that voice that says, fear not, for I am with you. And I realized that even though I felt very, very 
um, uptight and apprehensive and butterflies in my stomach, I could go and speak with the bank manager or I could take something back to a shop that was faulty for myself. I know, it didn't all come overnight, but I realised, actually, I can choose to do this where before I'd been immobilised. So there's no need for us to be blighted by the past, isolated by it, or kind of brought into our own little bubble whereby we protect ourselves from further hurt by putting up a wall around ourselves. And that's what often we do when we're in these difficulties, especially difficulties to do with fears and depression and so on. We isolate ourselves, and that's one of the devil's favorite tricks to get us to isolate ourselves from the rest of the body because then he can work on us even more. It's a huge ploy of his. We become trapped in a downward spiral when we're cut off from the rest of the body. But God is about transforming us, taking us from all the effects of being under the enemy's dominion into all the benefits of being under the kingdom, in his kingdom, under his kingdom authority that Rob spoke about. So in Romans 12, we read, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now I need to say something about this verse, because people think that they have to transform themselves. And that's a misunderstanding of the scripture there. What we're being asked to do is not conform ourselves to the old ways. What we're being asked to do is not choose to walk in the empty ways of our forefathers. What we're being asked to do is to choose to walk in that pattern that is God's pattern, God's truth. And he transforms us as we do that. The word there, the root word for trans transformation is a Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis, as many of you will know, is that thing that happens to the caterpillar when it's gone into that pupa stage and then it comes out as a butterfly and it's metamorphosized into something completely different. And something has to die for the something else to come and fly out that is beautiful. And I'll say a little bit about that in a moment. So as we choose to no longer walk in the lies and the old ways, whether it's a behavior pattern, whether it's an attitude, whether it's thought patterns in our thinking, and very often it is the thoughts in our thinking that cause us to behave in the way that we do. So for me to isolate myself, uh, run away from the rest of the body is a behavior pattern that came out of my thinking. So I want to choose differently. So whilst demons in that setting like last night can be told to go, truth has to be walked in constantly. So there can be a setting free in an instant, but then there has to be an ongoing process of walking in that freedom. So to take some of where I was at that I referred to yesterday, things like the spirit of rejection, things like not feeling I belonged and so on, 
were broken off in a moment. But such was uh, the depth of difficulty that obviously I didn't feel anything different (laughs) to start with. But what happened was somehow I knew I could choose to get hold of his truth. And it's his truth within me that begins to change. It's the power of that truth in our mind that changes us and gradually transforms us. So I begin to reject the lies of rejection. I no longer today need to remind myself of this on a day-by-day basis, but back then I had to remind myself of the truth very, very frequently throughout the day. And one of the things that happened is prior to the deliverance, I was not able to stay in the meeting um, after after the actual sermon had finished and we're going to that social coffee time, I couldn't stay because I couldn't cope with that and I would dash out. I'm not part of that. Then I have this setting free moment and then I come back to my church. The following Sunday, I'm sat in the pew and the guy says amen and the thing's finished and now people are chit-chatting. And you know what? I had a watch on and something in me said, you can sit here for five minutes. And I thought, hmm, perhaps I can. So I looked at my watch and I literally timed myself for five minutes. But whilst I was sat there, I looked around and I thought, I've been adopted into this family. I've been especially chosen by God and placed here. I'm part of the body of Christ. There are no members that don't belong. And there are no members that can say they don't need the others. I'm part of this body of Christ. And I would tell myself the same thing over and over again for five minutes. And then five minutes is up and then I dashed out. (laughs) And I did that for a number of weeks. And then I had this thought, you can do this for ten minutes. (laughs) And you know where those thoughts come from? Those thoughts come from God. And so I thought, okay, I'll try and do it for 10 minutes. And then the fateful day came when someone decided to come and talk to me in that 10 minutes. (laughs) But, you know, I gradually did stick around. And that's how it happens. But it's a battle in here. Because part of you wants to respond in the way that you've always responded. And now that you know that you can't respond like that, it's scary not knowing quite how I'm supposed to respond and how I'm supposed to be. In John 18, 3, it says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So we can all hear God giving us these prompts. And when we've had that setting free moment, we'll start hearing these prompts from God. Stick around for five minutes. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. And things like feeling useless. You know, I used to have this, well, you're useless, you. I told you what God said to me. Well, the antidote to feeling useless is not to continually listen to the enemy who was using my earthly father's voice in my head all the time, accusing me of being useless. Nor is it to tell myself I am useful and run round the place ragged doing everything that needs doing. Neither of those ways are the ways to handle it. The antidote to feeling 
useless is to remind myself and remind the enemy of the truth that God has called me for purpose. Romans 8:28 says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose therefore neither I nor you are useless it's about taking every thought captive and Rob referred to that yesterday we get hold of these thoughts brought to us out of our old man and the experiences of the past or the accusations of others And we refute them with the truth of God's word. So 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to the pulling down of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now that sounds like hard work, doesn't it? Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Actually, in those early days after the setting free moment, it is hard work. And you can choose. You can choose to ignore that and not bother with the job. And then the following year at another event like this, come to the front and have that setting free moment again. But do you want to spend your life doing that? To take every thought captive and have the difficulty of that battle for a short season and know what it feels like to come into a new place of light and a new place of release will captivate you and you will be lifted to a new place and you'll begin to think differently and because you begin to think differently you will begin to behave differently and you will begin to find that you're moving in blessing and becoming a blessing. You know, after the point of my deliverance, the first thought I had was, if God can do that for me, he can do it for anyone, and I want to help people find the same thing. That's the only reason I'm stood here telling you everything about myself. (laughs) So the weapons of our warfare include, obviously, things like the daily walking with him, spending time in his word, getting to know it, Letting the power of it affect our lives. It obviously includes things like prayer and the learning to go to him with our cares and difficulties. As well as honouring him and praise him and learning to depend on him for our needs. These things are all part of our armoury and the warfare that we're in. Which involves training our minds to daily overcome the old man and live as the new person in Christ that we are. And here's where I want to come back to the metamorphosis. Because I spoke earlier about when we were born again, we were lifted out of that dominion of darkness and we were put into the kingdom of light. That is a spiritual transaction that happened, whether you feel like it did or not. If you're a Christian, that happened. And you're in the benefit of that now, even if you don't feel that. At the core of your being, you are made new in Christ. His spirit will help you in outworking this as you walk with him. So we read in Colossians and in Ephesians about putting on the new self. So kind of imagine it, and this is where I start talking dangerously like a schizophrenic, and you might want to get the men in 
white suits to come and fetch me. Try and imagine it like there is two things battling within you. The old man, which is the one that uh, was sinful, the one that was held in the dominion of darkness, the one that just walked in the empty ways of your forefathers, the one that was depressed, the one that listened to all these thoughts about being useless and being rejected and not being wanted, that old man. And then within you, there is the new creation, the one that's made to reflect Christ to the world, the one that's been born into the kingdom of light. The two war within you. And Paul talks about that in a theological sense. Paul is not talking about the fact that he's having that battle. He's making the point that we have this battle while we're in this earthly body. Because we tend to want to follow the old man. And actually the old man is dead and buried with Christ. And the new creation is who we really are. 2 Corinthians 5:17 tells us therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature the old things have passed away and behold new things have come and i just want to kind of say something here that too many of us don't recognize that we're listening to the wrong voice most of the time Too many of us don't really realize that different voices speak to us. And too many of us don't realize that we can speak back to those things. Yeah? So, we all have our own commentary on ourselves. You know, our constant thinking pattern. You've got a commentary running in your head right now about why you sat here and, you know, it's raining outside and all this stuff goes on in your head. And your own commentary might have these negative things about yourself, such as I highlighted yesterday. But also, the enemy speaks to us, and he likes to get on the back of our own commentary. So if I think, oh, I've just done that again, I'm useless, he will come and say, yes, you're useless, you. I don't know why you bothered trying to do that in the first place. You're hopeless. Or he will speak to us, And say, you're useless. And then we start agreeing with him. Because that's what we think about ourselves. We need to come to a point where we're starting to refute that. And starting to speak back to that. And this is what we have the power to do when we've been set free or delivered. We can identify these voices. We can identify our own commentary and realize, actually, I shouldn't be thinking like that. That is not the truth about me. And then I can remind myself of the truth. Or I can think, that was the enemy. I'm not going to listen to that. And then I can say to the enemy, and don't forget, the enemy cannot read your mind. He is not God. There's only one person who knows your every thought and your innermost being, and that's God. But he did know you before you were Christian, so he knows how to press the buttons. So when you're saying something to the enemy, if you're in a place where you can, say it out loud. Say, I'm not listening to that. It is written. And Jesus gave us an amazing example in Luke 4. Just before he reads the scroll and says, the spirit of the Lord is 
upon me. He's gone through an almighty battle in the wilderness. And the enemy has come and talked to him in various ways. You can read it for yourself in Luke 4. But Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. It is written. And every time the devil comes, Jesus speaks back to him. This is what we should be doing, folks. Not allowing him to just take control over our thinking patterns. And so then when we feel in a difficult place, when we're struggling and things are tough and we get a bit downcast again, we can come like King David did and we can speak to ourselves. So King David felt like this and felt surrounded by his enemies and felt that life was tough. And in Psalm 42, he then says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, or because of that, I will remember you, God. And we say to ourselves, but I don't feel like that. It's not about what we feel like. We feel like we feel like because we keep telling ourselves the same lies. So when we feel downcast, let's remember God and learn to speak the truth to ourselves as David did. John 8.36 says, if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. And some things are instantaneous, but many, many more things are by a process over time as we bring our thinking in line with the truth, bring our mindset through to the truth. But just remember that in it all, God is the restorer and the redeemer of all that has been destroyed, all that's been eaten away, all that's been crushed over our past years. The Lord transforms everything. And that's not just the spiritual life. That's how it's affected you emotionally. It can transform that so that you're not feeling downcast most of the time anymore, but you're feeling peace or you're feeling joy. You have a different temperament. So I'm essentially the same person, and yet in many ways I'm not because my temperament is very, very different. And you remember I said that eventually I'd become disabled because of the abuse. God redeems these things even down to our physical bodies. I alluded to something last night. We don't have to stay in these places. And so eventually I experienced the power of God in that way too. So we need to recognize that although there's a setting free moment, there is then a walking free moment. And in that walking free, we can set our own ceiling by the choices that we make. We can choose life and freedom and truth over the lies of the enemy and our own feelings. Or we can choose to let go of the fight and just stay in that same place that we've been in before. He wants to liberate us. And this is what Jesus was talking about in Isaiah 61. Oh, God was talking about, sorry, in Isaiah 61, and Jesus reiterated it by what he said in his life. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. There is an exchange out of for an into. And I just want to finish by bringing you back to the whole 
realm of what it means to be baptized in water. And many of you here will have been baptized in water. And if you haven't, consider it. Because that is an outward demonstration of the fact that I have been lifted from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And when we are baptized and we go into the bottom of the pool, we are signifying that our old man has died with Christ. And then when we are raised up, thankfully, by whoever's doing it, we are signifying that we have risen a new creation in Christ with him. And so when we're having these struggles and we're trying to remind ourselves of the truth, we can picture, yes, I am not listening to that. That's the old man. He's at the bottom of the pool or she is at the bottom of the pool. I am a new creation in Christ. So even if I can't think of a truth for the particular battle I'm going in, we can always remember that one. I am a new creation in Christ. It is written that I have come from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's the birthing of a new you, a new me. And we are planted and rooted into him. And this is what the transformation is. So gradually we are metamorphosized into this new creation. We're taken into his purposes. And we're experiencing all this because he's about transforming. Transforming our lives, transforming communities, impacting nations, building his church so that he can transform and release the whole earth from the curse that it's been under. We're a part of that. We can be part of that. Having put off that old man, we put on the new man. And we are transformed to show forth his glory and power. And then we can say that we have been redeemed from those empty ways of our forefathers that we formerly walked in because they no longer hold us. So I hope that helps in some small way to talk about what happens after the last night moments. Okay? Good morning, everybody. It's still morning, isn't it? Let's appreciate Jeannie again for that uh, uh, wonderful talk. Amen. Uh, we just want to wrap up this uh, session uh, with just a few uh, thoughts and comments on the corporate side of spiritual warfare. Uh, we've been looking at introduction to spiritual warfare, but we just want to look at spiritual warfare now um, in terms of how that affects us as church. Now, I know most of the time, uh, spiritual warfare, we look at it from an individual point of view, and it is um, being set free. It's very, very a key part, and it's actually the primary battleground. It's in the lives of individuals. But I just want to put before you that, uh, and we will read the first passage of scripture from Matthew 16, 16. Most of us have um, know this passage of scripture by heart. Um, and uh, I just want to begin by looking at that in terms of three things. Number one, the context for spiritual warfare. The second thing is some of the outworking of this in, in church. 
and maybe uh, a few thoughts on how we can recognize and deal with it. Matthew 16, as you, as you know, it talks about Jesus uh, and the disciples. Were, he was asking who he was. And uh, P- Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then he said to him, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Then comes the statement that I just want to focus on. And that is what he said. He said, I am on this rock. I am, finish with me, building the, my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Beloved, from there, uh, first of all, is that Jesus starts by affirming something, that he is building the church. And then immediately he says, the building of the church shall be confronted, accompanied by something we all don't want. And that is something he called the gates of hell, not prevailing. Now, it goes to the victory bit, and I like that. And that's, you know, the, the essence of uh, corporate spiritual warfare, we, stand f- we start from the perspective of victory. Amen. We are victorious. We are not approaching this from fear. We are not approaching this uh, from uh, uh, magnifying the enemy, which we do so well sometimes in certain uh, deliverance sessions, in Africa, you'll find people spending literally days going into, you know, exploring all facets of the devil. Uh, spiritual warfare is not devil study. It, it, it's, I'm glad in the UK it's not like that. It's one of the big things we are fighting with Lillian and others like-minded in, in our nation. Is that we, You know, we're, we're not up there looking for the devil or even studying him. You know, the, the Lord starts with a point of victory. He says, the powers of darkness shall not prevail against it. And we declare, he shall not win. In your church, in your family, wherever it is that he's attacking us, he is defeated. Can I hear an amen from that? And I think Jeremy reminded us so well last night. So, the first thing we start there for is this. The building of the church shall be opposed by the enemy. So, therefore, um, all of us who are involved in church planting, in leading churches, it is a reality. Paul reminds us that we are not fighting against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6. But we are fighting against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in the heavenly places. And I remind us again that he wrote that in the context of the church. In fact... In looking at the biblical um, context for spiritual welfare, we find that the book of Ephesians is actually a classic book we use because we all like quoting Ephesians 6, 12, don't we? And in there, uh, the Apostle Paul is actually talking to the whole church. But also I remind you that that statement appears in chapter 6. He begins in chapter 1 looking at the identity. And that's what Gene uh, has been talking about. And that's what Rob has been reminding us in the authority. That we, once we establish ourselves in the, who we are in Christ, 
when it comes to chapter 6, it begins to deal um, with spiritual warfare and the things we fight on the assumption, beloved, that we are established in who we are in Christ. Within there, he deals with the whole armor of God. So, and that's what Gene has been talking about. That part of the spiritual warfare is in understanding the whole arsenal of what's available to us. And part of that is simply living right. In chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, he begins to talk about our corporate life together. But let me also talk about the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see spiritual warfare in a broader context. In fact, uh, theologians have looked at the book of Acts and seen the development in, t- in terms of the spiritual warfare, what was going on in the devil attacking the church growing in the various phases. Can I just run through that in a couple of minutes? Uh, first of all, you notice that uh, after Acts chapter 2, the church began to grow. And when the church began to grow, uh, immediately certain things begin to happen that are opposing the growth. So in a, in a wider context, uh, to those of us who are leaders, um, you know, mostly it's at times of major growth that you begin to experience pushbacks. I'm dealing with a number of uh, church leaders, church planters even. Um, in one case, uh, we're just about to launch the church and uh, just before we launch the church, good plans, finances beginning to fall in. And what happens to the leader? He goes into this big boat of depression, uh, family falling apart, stuff happening in the family that you can't explain. It just all begins to fall apart a little bit. And we all begin to look at him as a church and beginning to wonder, Is he the right person to do this? And maybe we are looking at the wrong person. We should be looking at what is the enemy doing maybe in this. Now, we're not saying everything that goes wrong is the enemy. But I, I think that we need to be very aware of the schemes of the enemy. He doesn't want that church plant planted. It's part of spiritual warfare. After Acts chapter 2, uh, you notice the levels of spiritual warfare. It starts with uh, a little bit of disunity in chapter 4. Yeah? And the church begins to uh, uh, be uh, kind of uh, split a little bit. Difficulties. Chapter 5, moral attack. Uh, where uh, chapter 5, you, you know it's a story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. It's in the middle of a revival, and then there is that story. Uh, the way Peter deals with that is, uh, is very African. I think that's what I could say. <laughs> that's one place in the Bible where a, a Christian born again, spirit-filled, uh, the can- dies, and the, there's no funeral, basically. Um, and it's just that. I, I, I mean, Peter was ruthless. The early church was ruthless is that the right word i know maybe that's too hard they were quite strong when they realized this is an attack of the enemy they had to confront it amen and then the third level you know as we go into chapter six on those of you are theologians you see at the beginning of an outright attack of the church 
through persecution. Again, uh, the enemy is trying to stop the church, but God uses that, in fact, to grow the church. Amen. So, uh, uh, if I had time, we could explore that a little bit, but let me just say this. Let me borrow from Dave Devonshish from that lovely book that, uh, 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 can I uh, really recommend this, this book? Uh, those of you, especially our church leaders, I really recommend this. And this also, this is New Frontiers material, so you are on safe grounds. <laughs> you can drink this without having to worry too much, uh, because Dave D is one of our own. and uh, God is using him mightily uh, in this area uh, alongside others. Now, you know, he describes spiritual warfare, and I want to borrow that in a broader context. He describes it like this. The definition of spiritual warfare, uh, he says spiritual warfare is the reality that the advance of the gospel and the building of the church involves us in attacking and experiencing counterattack in relation to real cosmic forces of darkness under the control of Satan. End of quote. Um, you don't have to write that down. You can find it in the book. Um, but let me just pick up if, uh, a couple of things there. Number one is that um, spiritual warfare is the reality. This is not fiction. It, we're not making this up. I think that you've heard from the testimonies. And look, I'm not... I'm, I, this audience is not a skeptical audience. Uh, so, uh, I sometimes preach to skeptical audience where I have to prove that the devil actually exists. Uh, this is not that type of audience. This is an audience, most of you, God has called you to be at the forefront of the battle. Can I hand a man if you're one of those? Yeah. So, uh, but there are people who think this is not real. We are making this stuff up. Um, you know, I've got a PhD in chemistry uh, from Manchester University. So, my, 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 as an academic, my, my, my default position is skepticism. You know, I'm a scientist, so we investigate everything. I spent three years in the lab, uh, uh, you know, trying to, to, to prove stuff and do experiments. Well, that's the reality of the world we are in. So, there's a big part of me that is kind of analytical and that kind of thing, uh, which is good because I can't deny me. Just like I can't deny the reality of the spiritual forces. It's as real as my chemicals in my lab. And um, the impact of this is real. And most of you, the impact of what we're talking about, you're seeing it in your own life, in your families, and that sort of thing. And so, when David talks, it's a reality that um, as we are preaching the gospel, the enemy shall rise up against us. And uh, he rises up in different ways. So, uh, he will oppose us. So, he will oppose the church. How many of us are church leaders? Maybe you're leading a church um, or you are part of a leadership team in a church. Please raise your hand. Just, just as, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so, I feel safe because part of this is that the spiritual warfare has been relegated to a side issue uh, and by a few specialists 
who sometimes are seen to be a little bit what's the word yes um but beloved that's one of the lies of the enemy and uh, one of the things you want to do is to make us believe that he's not there the biggest um strategy of an enemy is to make you believe he is not there so you are safe and so uh, i thank god for that definition by uh, uh, by david is that as we wake up to the reality that we're fighting spiritual forces that are fighting against the church there will also be as we attack them somebody say attack attack you see um uh, it's spiritual warfare now in africa because we don't know much english sometimes we call it spiritual welfare um which is a different thing as you know in england spiritual welfare and, and a lot of churches are doing spiritual welfare uh, because actually when people are under attack, all we do is embrace them and give them hugs and make them feel nicer and nicer, and hopefully they will go home feeling better. That's nice spiritual welfare. But actually, there is a place where God calls us to warfare, which means, beloved, if there is a demon involved, if there is a spiritual attack involved, I can do all the counseling I can, it will not resolve the situation. Now, I'm not saying every spiritual problem that people have has got some kind of spiritual thing. This is where we'll come to that in a moment. And we've been going through this again and again. Discernment, discernment, discernment. It's the name of the game. Amen. Can I hear somebody say discernment? We need the spirit, of, uh, the spirit of discernment. We need the gift of discernment. It's one of the least used gifts, least prayed for gift in the church. But I thank God we are praying for that, aren't we, Helen? We are asking God for more discernment for people in the church who can discern spirits. And it's called the discernment of spirit. So we can discern. We do not guess. It's not the spirit of guessing spirits. No, it's discerning them. It's actually knowing in the spirit that this is, there is more to this than just what's there. And we'll say a short prayer at the end towards that as well, asking for more discernment. Can I see your hand if you're asking God for more discernment in your situation? Yes. In fact, if that's one thing you go with from this seminar, that's a big jump because you will discern the will of God. Okay. So, but then there will be counter attack as well. We have to attack the enemy, spiritual warfare, but there will be counterattack. He will hit back. And that's why spiritual warfare, as Jenny has Jenny's been saying, it's not something that you just do once in a while and forget about it and you feel better. That's it. You've got to live aware of the fact that we are in a war zone. I was saying to somebody, you know, soldiers who know that they are in warfare uh, and they're in the battle zone, uh, when they are all of a sudden, they are shot. Huh? They will be shot. And some of them are injured. What does the rest of the army do? They gather around. In fact, when they come injured soldiers, we treat them as heroes. Don't we? They, they went to fight for a cause, for the advance of the kingdom of God. But you know, in the church, it's different. Do you know when we see somebody has been hit by the enemy? We look at them strange. In fact, some people are so embarrassed that 
you know, I've got this thing. It's from the enemy. And they look at them and say, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. The enemy shall attack people. And when you are shot, so you see, it's almost like they become apologetic. I've been attacked by the enemy. There's something wrong with me. Okay, that's not in the UK. That's in Africa. So I said to them, wake up. There's nothing wrong with you. There may be gates you've opened, doors you've opened. So let's close them up. But you know, there are a lot of people who are hiding oppressions because they think, somebody will think, there's something wrong with you. Am I, am I communicating something here? And also, it's one of the deceptions of the enemy. That's why a lot of people are sitting in church suffering quietly because they're trying to look no more. Because if this guy, Joseph, if that funny-led Lily prays for me and something happens, it will look like I'm weird. Okay, that's not in this room. In other places where I've been, that's how they think. You're not weird. In fact, we are standing up to your freedom. Amen. So, we, we, when, when God shows you something is to be dealt with, if there's something in the family, beloved, we just deal with it. There shouldn't be a sense of shame. Now, this is not in my notes. I'm speaking by revelation. Here. I feel the Spirit is saying this, that there may be some people here, even confronting it, you just feel like a sense of shame. Like, 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 like oh, there is, no. I think we are applying, appropriating the finished work of Jesus in people's lives. Hallelujah. Okay, now let me finish with uh, a couple of uh, minutes on some of the manifestation of spiritual attack in the church. Can we finish with that? There's a lot we could talk about that, but we are only giving a few, um, a few thoughts here. Now, the... One of the biggest attack uh, is um, what we call the Jezebelic spirit. The Jezebelic spirit. Now, the, the devil attacks the church in many ways, but in a corporate sense, this thing, especially um, in Africa as well as here in the UK, we are increasingly seeing the manifestation of this uh, in the church, and uh, we've we've had. A lot of questions and sometimes a lot of situations right now uh, in many churches where this is the church is under attack on this and it's a nasty spirit. It is a very, very, very difficult thing. Churches are broken apart because of this thing, and um, uh, and and it is a process. Sometimes it will take years. Unless you recognize it, by the time people begin to wake up, it's so embedded in the church, the church is falling apart. People are falling off ill, frustrated, people are resigning, people are leaving church. Now, that's the extreme of it. But we thank God because with the spirit of discernment and, and, and right kind of uh, allowing the spirit to work among us, which is what we are as new frontiers, the Lord helps us with us. What's a Jezebelic spirit? Well, it comes from, the, uh, from uh, Jezebel, who now was a queen in the Old Testament. 
There's two passages of scriptures that we always refer to to help us with this. First Kings chapter 19, and I wish I could read that. I'll read a little bit of that in my conclusion. And Revelation chapter 2. Because in Revelation chapter 2, the Bible uh, begins to talk to one of the churches uh, and referring to the Jezebelic spirit that you have allowed this woman, Jezebel, to bring false prophecies in the church. Now, he's saying to the church, the Spirit of God is speaking to the Spirit, to the church. You have allowed this evil woman, Jezebel, to, to deceive people through false prophecy. And then the last part of it, he says, she leads the men into, into. Now, when you speak to me, then I know you are following me. Uh, or at least you remember what I'm referring to. I'm just trying to avoid, because of time, I'm trying to avoid going to read. Uh, yeah, so two things it says, uh, leading people away uh, through false prophecies and then leading servants, men into, into sexual sin. So those are the two things. Now, uh, before we come back to that, in, in, in that, let's pick it up from First Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. This is after... Elijah had just rooted out the 400 prophets of Baal. There's a great victory. There is, you know, Jehovah is God. Uh, and this is a great, great victory for the people of God. And then something totally unexpected happens. You remember that? Here is what happened. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel. Jezebel. So Ahab was the husband. Now there's a lot of dynamic this. Jezebel was married to a guy called Ahab. Ahab is reporting to his wife. Do you sense a problem? No. Yeah, that's the Ahab type of leadership. Um, so we can talk about that some more. Uh, I'll be pre- I've been asked to speak in another church specifically on some of these issues. And it takes time to unravel it, to open it up. But the Jezebel, the Ahab type of leadership, beloved, uh, as you see in, in that passage of scripture, it, 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 it gives room to this Jezebelic spirit to dominate. So, we can look at that in more detail we want today. So, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets uh, with a sword. So, verse 2. So, Jezebel said, sent a messenger to Elijah. Now, listen to this because that's all the time I have. Listen to this. This is what he said. May, this, these are the words of Jezebel. May the gods, small g, the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. This is, a, this is an, an evil queen speaking to the man of God, to the prophet of God. He's speaking to him like a small boy. Now, I'm expect, what are you expecting Elijah to do? Follow the spirit just killed 400 prophets about this is a man under the influence and the anointing of God. He should just deal with this, with this one woman. Amen. Does he? Ah, now that's where the Jezebelic spirit is. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there and the rest of it you know. So, the Jezebelic spirit, beloved, first of all, is a spirit that's 
stood against Elijah. It's a spirit that made Elijah begin to feel and uh, think. I, I listened to, I was listening to um, uh, um, a powerful message on Elijah, particularly in this particular point from, from, uh, from our founder, Terry. Uh, he preaches a powerful message on this, not on spiritual warfare, but on just a, on Elijah's depression. Elijah went through depression. He was depressed. He, he, he got to a place, if you read the rest of the story, he just simply said, Lord, let me die. I says, now, just go slowly there. The people have got to that place where we just had it. And we're talking about a servant of the Lord here. And we're talking about pastors who just you don't enjoy ministry anymore. You're just miserable. You're miserable. Your life is hearted. Your wife just doesn't like it. You're still in ministry. I'm not, I know I may be talking about some extreme cases, but beloved, let's be open that sometimes that's, we start with the feeling, the Jezebelic spirit, that one, it, it, it begins to um, attack authority. It's a spirit against against um, spiritual authority. It's a spirit of intimidation that stands, Jeremy talked about that, challenges you. It stands, it opposes what you've been doing. You know you're doing the work of God. It was God who told you the, to kill the 400 prophets of power. What's the problem with this? You know, And she seems to have an authority that, you know, Ladies, please forgive me. When we talk about she, I know she, it was a she. But I think in the book, without me going into details, uh, D- David does a fantastic job to unravel that we are not just talking against ladies. Amen, sisters. Amen. This is not a treatise against. So when you talk about disability spirit, you know, I see some, some ladies just going like, oh, God, these are just macho guys trying to talk against women, strong women. They're against strong. No, no, no. That's not it. It's not about legitimate womanhood. This is actually a spirit that, 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 that distorts the proper balance between men and women. If you want to just employ, David does a fantastic job in the book, so I don't have to go there. But so it's not, we're not against women. It's not just we, it's, it's, it's some women against men. That's not the fight. It's a spirit. I mean, it's a Jezebelic type spirit. Can I hear the men to make sure I'm not, I'm not putting, feeling somebody feel bad? So that's basically what we are talking about. So uh, some of these characteristics you notice from that passage of scripture. Let me just say this because our time is finished really. There, there's no time. So I could have talked about the characteristic. So it is, uh, it is number one, uh, ambi- it's an ambitious spirit which is after control. Secondly, you can feel anger. Be it unto me. May God, the gods, small gods. So she had some kind of force and she mentions them as gods. Obviously, she was a worshiper of Baal and she's saying Baal would deal with you. So she, it's a spirit of anger. There may be people that are rise up against or trying to undermine the authority of the church, the authority of the eldership, and they seem to have an authority coming from somewhere you don't know. And they challenge you. Um, I know Rob mentioned this 
about experiencing some of this in the church. And I just happened to be in their home when some of this was out playing. I know Rob is my friend of more than 15 years. And I'd never seen Rob, you know, Rob, Rob, Rob is my friend. I mean, he has, he's as English as they come. He's, <laughs> he's him and Helen, they've been so blessed, such a blessing to us. Uh, and he's always, you know, keeping time, very well-mannered, controlled. I hope you don't mind me selling you nicely like this. Uh, but we are breakfast table, uh, and I've never seen Rob like this. Uh, he, you know, being very British, is biting his lower tongue, trying to explain to me something that was deeply hurting him. And I'd never seen Rob, sorry Rob, shed a little tear. And I thought, no. And I sensed in my spirit, no, this is not happening. There is something. And in my spirit, this is not just my friend, he's hurting and I'm feeling sympathy. This is not welfare. This is a warfare moment. And I switch gear in my mind. I'm saying something is happening. I switch in the spirit and I say, Rob, what's going on? And then the rest is history. There was something Jezebelic happening in the church. And I thank God that he was, um, he was um, strong enough to stand and against it. And you heard some of you, the rest of his testimony. If you want to hear how they dealt with it, you can talk to him. But that was that. It, 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 pro, it produces fear and discouragement in, in you. You get to a place where, you, you know, you just feel like give up the church and walk away. That's what Elijah did. He just ran away. Now, look at me if you're in a position of authority. You know, just one or two of you, you just feel like, you know, I could just walk away. You just don't know what's keeping you there. I know I'm not talking about everybody, but I may be talking about one. And sometimes it could just be the wife of the pastor or the minister. You're just like you're not in it. Sunday morning is the worst day. You go there and you watch and see what's going on. Just a belly spirit is to kill you, is to kill your enthusiasm, is to frustrate you, to make you feel like that. It just undermines authority. What's the extent of that? In the church, it will not only slow down the church, it will um, make the leadership feel completely out of control. They just don't know what's going on. People have come in the church that are doing certain things that are not there. Now, please do not start running in your mind and say, yeah, that guy, that guy, man. yeah, that one, yes. You remember, what did I say at the beginning? We are not in the guessing game. We need discernment. Amen. Amen. Okay, our time is up. How do you deal with it? First of all, by teaching. Now, before you come to teaching, confrontation. This needs to be confronted. Somebody say confronted. Yeah. So you, you've got to put uh, where, where it's at. The disability spirit is not, not a nice spirit you just counsel out. or Let's have a discussion. You've got to deal with it in the spirit. What did Paul say? We wrestle. Not against flesh and blood. There comes a moment of just confronting this thing. This thing is not, it's, it's not there to be negotiated out. Um, 
it's got to be confronted. Eh? Tell your neighbor, confront. And then um, sometimes, as we said in the in the in Revelation, it could have led to immorality sometimes, because what happens is that uh, the Jezebelic spirit, you have a large Jezebelic spirit, it may actually lead to compromise and sin, and therefore it undermines, and then you get certain things happening. Leaders are not being straight because there's something happening in their lives. Again, it needs to be confronted and people put right. Amen. Again, those are very important issues. And then uh, we come to teaching, which is the third aspect. Um, once people have repented, uh, then, then it can be removed. Uh, uh, but there needs to be teaching. But then also, because the control spirit, you know, sometimes it goes around the church. How, do you know what's going on? What do you think about the leaders? And then you get cliques. You get people that, you know, you get a, little clubs all over the place. And these people are going, oh, I don't know. I like that elder. I don't think that. So when it takes rounds in the church, people can be divided. And people are worn over to a different types of spirit. And so innocent people, they sit in church totally corrupted by some of these things. But God is a good God. It's a stronghold, and it needs to be broken. So teaching on the effect of the Jezebelic spirit, spiritual authority uh, needs to be taught, release of ministry needs to be taught, and also uh, the gate being strengthened, meaning uh, the eldership is a gate. Huh? We watch the gate of the church. needs to be strengthened. We watch who comes in the church. We watch who goes uh, uh, in. Uh, so that's why it's very important that as elders, we watch over the flock, isn't it? Including who's coming in and are they in the right spirit? And it's important to take that responsibility. Can I just be a little bit stronger there? The Ahab uh, leadership is a type of leadership that just, no, we are so nice that we don't watch nothing. But in this case, please, the elders have to watch and it's important that if somebody's coming with a different spirit, we can sit them down and ensure that we clear that out with them. Amen. Yeah, so strengthen the gate. But then also teach on spiritual authority and spiritual warfare to the whole church. Let me stop there and say, uh, let's please stand. We're running out of time. And, and again, my friend Rob, we have no time. What do we do? We've got one minute before end. I think if uh, we, we'll just do uh, a, a corporate response from a, a few things, just from where people are. So um, some of what Joseph has just been speaking about, that might uh, apply to you um, in, uh, in, in a leadership contest. Just to mention, by the way, that the situation we dealt with was that it was a, it was a man who had that Jezebelic spirit. Be, be from a man just as much as from a lady. Um, I, I'd just like to bring some things I just felt the Lord was saying to me um, more through what, what Ginny was saying. So um, that Ginny was talking about the need for us to be transformed. I, I felt the Lord was saying, there, there, were, there were some of you, your strategy is avoidance. You're, you're not tackling the problem with the weapons that God has given you. You're avoiding situations. Now, don't be ashamed by that. But, but you need to realize, you need, we need to repent of that and, and, and put our faith again in God. Uh, and, and again, one or two, one or more people um, that you've had negative words said against you in the past or 
negative experiences. And so fresh situations that you're coming across now or fresh relationships, you're reading your history into the present. And you're interpreting the present in the light of your history. And that's a lie. Again, and you've got to recognize that and turn from that. And there was a, a lady who brought me this, this word for us beforehand, which again, I feel is very relevant. She said, there are some people who need to break an umbilical cord connecting you with your old life, with your old way of thinking. This isn't just thinking about things from literally your family. That might, it might include that. But um, the, 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 the baby is very secure, and it, and it seems a dramatic thing to cut that umbilical cord. But of course, it's got to happen. And we can get too comfortable with the way life has been, even though we know it's not what it should be. And sometimes that cord needs, needs breaking. Um, and if you guys want to add anything into that. Okay, if, you, if any of those um, apply to you could, you, could you just raise your hand, please, if you'd like, to be, if you'd like, like us to, to, to pray for you. Let's just do that now. And Lord Jesus, thank you. You reveal so that you can heal. Lord God, you do not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Lord, you do not come to accommodate the evil one, but to destroy his works in our lives. And uh, Jesus, we, we, can, we corporately confess to you, Lord God, anything where we have not sought you, where we have not put you first, where we have gef- left a gate open in our lives or in our church. Uh, We repent of that, Lord God. We submit to you. And your word says, Lord Lord God, as we submit to you, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So we submit ourselves to you afresh, Lord. And uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, we resist these things in our minds and in our emotions in our relationships, and in our churches. We declare the power of these things is broken in Jesus' name. And we command the enemy to, be flee, to flee from these things. And we give ourselves to you afresh, Lord God. We pledge ourselves to you that we want to walk by the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Spirit, with where he is leading us and what he wants us to do. And Lord, we speak over us a word of transformation. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come, and you are transforming us into your likeness from one degree of glory to another. And we want to release your Holy Spirit over us, Lord God, in our families, Lord God, in our churches, in our small groups, wherever we are, Lord God, in our emotions, in our thinking. Oh God, do all that you want to do. You have called us for a purpose. You're writing your story through our lives and through our church, Lord God. You are the author, Lord God. We say, write what you want to write in us, Lord God. Write what you want to write through us. In your name we pray it and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Just to quickly remind you, Jesus, Joseph talked about that book. A couple of others which I recommended. The Biblical Guidebook to Deliverance. I know that is in the bookshop by Randy Clark. And one, I spoke a lot about authority yesterday. Authority in Prayer by Dutch Sheets. 
Uh, I know Ginny had a couple of other recommendations as well, so I think all of those uh, would be in the bookshop. Um, we can hang around here a little bit longer if anybody just wants to ask any more questions personally. So thank you very much.